Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Ella. And I'm their grandma, Tamara Glenning. We, we love tennis. And we also love listening to... The Tennis Podcast! Well, thank you very much, Tamara and granddaughters, Polly and Ella, who have introduced one of our tennis podcasts before. Catherine, Matt and myself were just just remembering that very fondly. And to hear their lovely voices on our show again once more is is a treat, Catherine. And it helps your 11.30 recording time after a long old week. Yes, very cheering. So thank you very much for that. Lovely. Um, Yeah, it, it... it has been a, a long old week. It's been really good. I've I've loved being out here in Turin, but um, the the hours are quite punishing. It's the it's the little gaps between sec- sessions that can confirm aren't long enough for a nap, uh, but are <laughs> you know too long just to sort of fiddle around a bit on your phone for a while. Uh, annoying periods of time uh, where all I can think is could be asleep now. <laughs> Could be asleep now. Um, and I think lack of vitamin D as well. There's actually been gorgeous weather in Turin uh, most of the week. And it's a very scenic place. Um, step out the front of the hotel. I have my five minutes in the outdoors while I'm waiting for the bus in the morning. And you can see the, you know, the mountains off in the not too, on the not too distant horizon. And uh, it's beautiful. And then I go inside and I don't see daylight again for another sort of 14 hours. Um, so get the violins out for me. Uh, I, yeah, uh, nothing a bit of vitamin D and sleep won't fix. Well, good news is she's heading back to London <laughs> to get the most glorious weather imaginable mm. in November. Vitamin D tablets, David. Yes. Oh, yes, those two, uh, which she's got me on to. <laughs> they work a treat. Uh, so that's Turin. What about Malaga, Matt? What's it like there? Well, I don't want to rub it in, but I'm hoping for some vitamin D. Um, I arrived in the dark, so I haven't had a, a great view of it yet. But I, apparently I have an ocean view room from this hotel. Oh, yeah, right. Can't okay. see the ocean at the moment, but updates throughout the week. Yes, because we'll be with you every single day throughout the Davis Cup finals, which uh, start in a couple of days' time. Matt, you've, is it uh, media day tomorrow when you get all the press conferences and you go and rub shoulders with the teams and all that? It is, yes. Jack Sock was on my flight today, so I know that he's here. Um, What's he doing flying from London? Was he... I wondered the same. Maybe you have to connect, I guess, where does he live? Texas? That was a stab in the dark, guys, (laughs) if it wasn't clear. Um, Could be that one. Maybe he can't fly direct. I presume he can't fly direct, yeah. Mm. He didn't look like he'd just come off a really long flight. He was was far fresher than I would have been. But anyway, um, he's here. And yes, because it's a knockout um, competition at the Davis Cup this year, some teams are starting... Tuesday, but the US don't start till Thursday, so he's got a he's got a bit more time, I suppose, to get going. 
Do you remember that year that Jack Sock qualified for the ATP finals? <laughs> I do. The two the two memories I have of that, one is of him beating Kyle Edmund from some insane position when he was losing horrifically and somehow managed to win. And I, I kind of felt like Kyle Edmund never got over that. Um, and then of him sort of allowing... Roger Federer to smack a ball into his backside at the net during the tournament itself. And Federer missed. Oh. I think he hit it into the net. Right. <laughs> Wasn't that a slightly weird year at the ATP final? Was that was that the year with the Kane Shikori Roger Federer match? No. That was the following year. Okay. Was that the, the worst match we've ever seen? My brother maintains it is the worst tennis match he has ever seen. Yeah. I'm sure deep down he was grateful for the free tickets, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Headline, worst tennis I've ever seen, not worth a trip to East London. <laughs> but there was also that same tournament. Kevin Anderson beat Kane Shikori 6-love, six 6-1. Yes. Really? I can't yeah. remember any of this. And it was truly This awful. was 2017? 18. 18. 18. 17 was the Jack Sock year. Yes, okay. And 18 was the Kane Shikori playing the worst tennis matches anyone's ever seen year. Mm. Right. See, Jack, if you'd have put Jack this in Sock 1997, I'd have remembered it. years old. <laughs> is he? Mm. Goodness. Do you remember that year at the O2 when... Every single match was straight sets all the way through the tournament yes. because they'd have a half competitive first set and then somebody would just completely run out of steam and just get steamrolled. Mm. Yes, I seem to remember there was a year where that kept happening and then David Ferrer came in as an alternate and finally there was a three set match. That yeah. didn't mean but anything. Basically, yeah, that didn't mean anything. There were some ropey years at the O2. They've, they've, they they've had um, four. We will come on to talk about, about Novak Djokovic winning the title, <laughs> folks. They've had, I think, four uh, final set tie breaks in the singles this year, which I think is a record. In fact, I know is a record, um, which on the face of it looks looks really good, doesn't it, for the tournament in terms of you know getting the, the court speed right. Um, I, I know you had a, a chat about this on the show a couple of nights ago on the night that I submitted my Outside the Toilets voice note. Um, you, you know, on paper the scores it has looked like good tennis in terms of court speed and competitiveness, and you know, not too grueling at the end of a season. Players not dropping like flies. I, I don't have the stat to hand, but this feels like the first year in quite a long time that an alternate hasn't had to be called upon. Mm. Yeah, Holgerun has just been sat there, hasn't he? With his oh, feet. and I, you know, I did a. Um, I did an interview for Danish TV um, the other day about mostly, oh. mostly about Holger Rune, and uh, the interviewer told me that he had been speaking to him, and he is like a caged. He has been like a caged animal all week. Can't sit still. Can't sleep. Just fidgeting the whole time. Just absolutely desperate to get out there. Um, and it's a weird situation to to be in. I know some alternates come into tournaments feeling like, well, this is an excellent paid holiday. Um, and some come in like Holger Rune, you know, praying to the injury gods that someone <laughs> someone gets taken out. Um, and he, yeah, his, the luck didn't fall his way. This year. I remember in in about about 1998, I remember being in a player lounge with Richard Krychek, who was the alternate, and it was finals day, and uh, and I I went up to him and said, "Oh, hey, how are you doing? What, what, what are you doing in here?" Uh, and he, he was sat there with his suitcase, and he said, "All I need is for this next match to play one point, and then I'm off to the airport." <laughs> <laughs> must be very weird you're sort of the ghost at the feast aren't you and i don't know there's very there's very different types of alternate you know holger in a 19 year old that a, a few months ago you would have laughed at the prospect of him 
being an alternate at the uh, the ATP finals. And then there's your there's your David Ferrer's, your perennial alternate. You know, Holger Rune can probably just about stomach it because there is absolutely no doubt in his mind that he will be there by right for the next 10 to 15 years. You've got your David Ferrer's, your sort of just Didn't Grigor Dimitrov turn it down to being perennially in a... Well, I sort of respect that. I, I get it. I get it. If the Maldives is waiting, David. But... No, I thought I thought he I thought it was maybe the play, year play, that he some was players with do Roger I Rashid. I don't think it's that unusual to turn it down. Sort of wanted to get his next season yeah, ready or I, something like I, that. I, I, can't exactly I do understand that. it. Yeah. It wouldn't get my juices flowing. I am available. Just would wouldn't <laughs> turn it down. Uh, but you know, if you've already got enough okay. money in the bank and you've been there and done it. Like Grigor Dimitrov, I could understand. Uh, just before I ask my first question about Novak Djokovic <laughs> and Kaspar Ruud, you saw Holger Rune close up for the first time, didn't you, at this uh, mm. this tournament on the on the eve of it, and and you were really taken by with what you saw. I mean, I know he he's just had this incredible week. We all know he can he can play, but I mean, I remember you you were pretty awestruck by, by what he was, he was doing. He was the first player I saw when I walked into the Palo Alpatore Stadium for the first time. There he was on the centre court hitting with Daniel Medvedev, uh, who w- wasn't enjoying himself. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that maybe, you know, obviously hindsight is a wonderful thing, prophetic of the, the week to come. He was getting pretty irritated with Holger Rune, who was fist pumping in a practice at a tournament that he wasn't even technically playing at. <laughs> Which tells you everything you need to know about Holger Rinner. Sort of brilliant, but also, I can imagine, for any other player, deeply irritating. Uh, but for me, I loved it. The intensity was mind-blowing. And the ball makes a certain kind of sound coming off his racket. It is a sweet sweet hit that he has he's physically bigger and stronger looking in real life than he is on tv he's quite quite Grigor dimitrov actually in terms of his physique very sinewy and um maximized physically um those he's, but he's also got those um quad muscles that bulge out every time that he takes a step which is a bit terrifying when he's sort of walking directly towards you um yeah he's i mean i stand by everything i said um about him at the end of paris which i said in full knowledge that it could all be recency bias still could be but i i enjoy i'm in looking forward to watching him play a competitive match live in Australia for the first time. That is hmm. high up on my t- to watch list for the early days. I also think he was the sort of alternate here that had he got in, might have done some real damage if he oh, got yeah. in early enough, you know, because I think I think the most likely scenario was that he probably would have come in for Rafael Nadal. Nadal was probably the most uncertain about his fitness of, of everyone who was here and you know if he'd come in after Nadal had pulled after Nadal had played one match maybe he'd have had a chance to play a couple one of them against Kasper Ruud I think I think he would have actually been a really good addition to this tournament obviously it was great to see Nadal play three matches I didn't want Nadal to pull out but someone hungry and in form that's really what you want at the season-ending finals, as opposed to maybe a bit weary at the mm. end of the season, whereas he was right in his prime and, and kind of ready to go. Um, but yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be back. And I, I do remember him being on site at the 2019 finals. I think he was, a, he was the junior who was like everyone's hitting partner and he was going around taking photos with everyone. So he'd already had a bit of that experience of just being at this event and being in amongst it. And I can imagine he was just absolutely desperate to get out there and, and play considering his form. And I think one of the hitting partners at the event this week, who I think in fact warmed up both finalists today, uh, is the 
Spanish youngster that won the US Open Juniors this year. He's a Rafael Nadal Academy kid, isn't he? Martin Landaluce. Yes, I think he there might we be go. Called. Very mm. deliberately left the pronunciation to you there. No um, surprise that Matt's got the the intel and mm. the insight on this guy because I can already feel his next Carlos Alcaraz. Hey, have I got that coming. right, Matt? He's a Nadal Academy prodigy. You're going to show me up now because I really don't have that much intel. <laughs> <laughs> because if he's not. This might be a different person because this kid had a Rafael Nadal Academy oh. shirt on. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm pretty sure Martin Landaluce won the US he Open did. Juniors. Okay. Why don't we start right. talking about Novak Djokovic while uh, while I Google <laughs> Google the potentially <laughs> fake news that I just dropped? Yeah. Can I also say? I think we might come in for some uh, hate if mm. we refer to if we refer to David Ferrer as a perennial uh, alternate. Didn't he? I'm sure he must have qualified loads. Yes, for this he did. Event. He qualified as well. He qualified as well. Yes. <laughs> I'm just just getting ahead of them. Oh, I don't think I don't think it was Martine. You know, Martine's blonde. <laughs> this guy wasn't blonde. Well, oh, no. I'm excited He's about quite Martin good, anyway. Very good. Even you can change your hair colour. <laughs> okay, right, folks. <laughs> it's time to talk about Novak Djokovic winning the title, the ATP Finals for a joint record equaling sixth time alongside Roger Federer. I didn't realise it had been seven years since he'd won the mm. event. I mean, that's, that's extraordinary, isn't it, to think how much of those seven years he has kind of dominated the circuit. And... It just brings me back to what Matt said the other day about this year it feels like it matters more to him, this tournament, than it has in the past because he, he hasn't played events this year. What's he played 10 or 11 events all year and he's he's fresh and he hasn't played two of the Grand Slams because of his decision not to get vaccinated. Um, and yeah, he, he was bang up for this tournament, this whole stretch, I think, really, this, uh, this autumn stretch. It, the scoreline was seven five six three. Matt, that about what you thought you'd you'd get, and and the way it went. What what did you think of what you saw? I believe I said yesterday that in my big hype for this match, Kasparud might get a set. Hmm. So the fact that he didn't isn't isn't totally surprising. I guess if I had had to say, I probably would have said Djokovic in. In straight sets, one close one, one slightly less close one. Yeah, it, it felt about right, to be honest. Um, I thought Djokovic played really well in the second set. Really well. Um, mm. f- far better than he'd played against Taylor Fritz. Probably better than he'd played against Medvedev. He was back to the form of, of the start of the tournament. And he just he just found a level that Kasparud doesn't have. And that's no slight on Kasparud because... I'm not sure anyone in the tournament would have had the level to live with with Novak Djokovic in that second set. What really struck me, and I I said this on our WhatsApp chat, was how comfortable Djokovic seemed just in the rallies against Rude. Because as much as Rude has developed, and he has got a lot better, he's improved his serve, he's improved his backhand, he's improved his chip return, all great developments. But what he hasn't really got is the ability to turn defense into attack especially off the backhand all he can do when he's pushed out wide is either loop it up and it's a bit short and easily attackable or slice whereas Djokovic when he's in that position as we know has sort of invented that shot that he slides into it and can just hit an hit an attacking shot from a defensive position and it just seemed like that was happening time and time again Rude was maybe pushing Djokovic back but it was fine because Djokovic can defend it and as soon as Djokovic got on the front foot, Rude wasn't able to respond with the sort of attacking defence of his own. So it just seemed like a really pretty good matchup for Djokovic generally. And as soon as he was comfortable, there, then I think he sort of opened his shoulders and started swinging and played an absolutely flawless second set. And um, he was he was a worthy, worthy winner. Well, I mean, he looked uncomfortable in the first set. Mm. physically to me Djokovic he, he didn't look 
like he was enjoying himself very much, like he was feeling that great. He didn't say anything that I heard to that effect after the match because, I mean, frankly, by the time the second set came around and he eked out that first one, which, bear in mind, he was... It was 5-6 Rude, 30-all, um, and Rude thought he hit a service winner ace, which was overruled by Hawkeye. That was a very timely challenge from Djokovic. It was a fraction of a centimetre out... And uh, and so he didn't win that point and go game point up to, to force a tiebreak after all, Rude. And then Djokovic just took over from there. But I think I think Djokovic just started to feel comfortable again. I think he was having a painkiller of some kind. For, he was rubbing his temples in the first set. You know, he's not he's not a player, and he never has been, and I think he never will be a player who hides how he's feeling if he's not feeling very well. He lets you know about it, and it's it does lead to a lot of people saying, "Why is he doing all that?" And then he goes and wins easily, and all this, and people get wound up about that. I I'm not that bothered about that personally. I don't mind people showing that they're they're not feeling great, and and I think you know it's not abnormal to then feel better a little bit later on, and then suddenly go and destroy someone. But the the difference between sets one and two was stark. I mean, his form, suddenly he was off and running. But I had a problem with, and this may, you may think I'm a bit, a bit harsh. I'm curious to hear what you think, Catherine, particularly on this one. I have a problem with the way Rude approached this match and approaches these matches against him and Nadal. We've, we, we covered that briefly last night. But he applauded Djokovic about three times in the first five games. One of them, when Djokovic missed... Djokovic went for a, an audacious drop volley on the backhand side that only missed by a centimetre. Rude was already running towards the net to applaud it because he thought it was in. And I'm thinking, go and beat the guy. Stop trying to be so nice about him. Stop trying, you know, and I know that Djokovic applauds opponents too, but he's the guy with the power. He's the guy with the record. He's the guy who is lulling you into his trap because... Yes, he is polite and he is a sportsman-like in those situations, but he's also a killer. He's going to try and destroy you on the court because that's what he does. That's what the best players do. Nadal is a great sportsman, but he's still trying to destroy you. Go out there and land one on him. Gain his respect. And I don't think Rude was doing that. What do you think? I know we want Catherine's analysis on this. I was just going to say, I actually think applauding Djokovic's missed shots is sort of the sort of the troll energy that he might need to bring in some of these matches. I know he wasn't it doing was an that accident, as a though, troll. Matt. It was I, I know it was an accident, but actually thinking about <laughs> it, I'm starting to think maybe next time he needs to do a little bit just a little bit more of that, but mean it. I I was expecting you to go on that rant, David, but I loved every <laughs> second of it. Yeah, I mean that that's that those moments encapsulated why I struggle a bit with Casper Ruud, despite him being great. I know he's. I've really enjoyed interviewing him this week. He's great. I've so much respect for what he's done with his game. I really do. Um, and I know there are there are different ways to be imposing on a court and be interesting and be fun. But that is something that I just have no time for none at all and there is nothing more deflating than knowing that somebody doesn't really believe in a match like that it used to happen with Federer all the time didn't yeah, it yeah it did Berrettini I mean, I just, against Federer and loads of them I always say that I mean you know we we do have I wouldn't quite say favourites, but we have players that we like watching more than others. You know, naturally, we're, we're tennis fans. But I'm not a fan of anyone enough that I just want them to win. I always just want to see a competitive tennis match. Always. I don't. I, I hope that will never leave me. Even when it's midnight and I've worked a 15-hour day, five days in a row, and there are people around me that I know love the sport that are just wanting it to end I I can't get rid of the part of me saying no let it go on I want it to be brilliant and long and go to a deciding set tie break and that's pretty much 
always the overriding thought for me. So in a match like that, where there is an overwhelming favourite, all you want or all I want is the person down the other end of the court. A bit like Taylor Fritz yesterday, actually. Taylor Fritz didn't have the game in the end, but he showed me enough in the first few games to make me think, okay, you, you've, you've, you've got this here mentally. You probably won't have it game-wise against the best player in the world right now. Um, but you, 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 you've, you've got me. Kasparu didn't have me today. And <sighs> I have nothing to add to what you said about the, the applause. I, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And th- this isn't, we shouldn't, we've already spent a lot of time talking about a guy that wasn't in, wasn't in the tournament this week, but it did make me just want to swap him out for Holger Rune. There is, you know, I am absolutely not here for the homophobic slurs of Holger Rune that he was punished for by the ATP. And I absolutely hope he has learned from him. I don't, I don't want to glamorize and make light of all of his aggro because it doesn't all fall into the same category but give cutting him a small amount of slack for that given his age and the fact that he is pledged to learn from it and he hasn't to my knowledge reoffended the other stuff the walking on court and being an utter irritant no matter what the consequences the fist pumping in practice I was just craving that. I was. That's what I wanted. And it's the opposite end of the spectrum to applauding a, applauding a shot that didn't even go in. My heart just sunk. Yeah. Um, just to say, though, the the, the problem is... See, I, I watch Kasparu because he's got that massive forehand and... He's got an improve. I, I really think your your description, Matt, of of his problems on the d- the defence, turning that into attack, is is a is a clear issue for him versus players that can do it. He's just not one of those at the moment who can. So I wanted him to, to be on the front foot from ball one. You've got to go after that forehand, Mac ten. You've got to be you've got to be looking to just take this guy out he, I, a lot more I thought he was almost trying to slow ball in the early yeah, stages I, th- I I don't I didn't I mean I think I think I can understand it to some degree he 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 very nearly went down um a break immediately didn't he he was he was 15 40 down on the seven I think getting comfortable is is one of the challenges in a match like that because it can be over before you know it against a guy of Djokovic's quality and I so I understand him not going for broke necessarily until he's comfortable but once he'd held there I just wanted him to take more cuts at the ball really you know take more chances than you would against normal players because this guy isn't a normal player that you're up against the problem you have against Djokovic is I think probably my theory on that is oversimplifying what's involved because Djokovic doesn't give you the balls to hit that you want to hit and and I think that I'm it's like the comparison I would draw is all the fighters who would face Floyd Mayweather and there'd be bigger punches on paper than him they'd got more knockouts than him but none of them could lay lay a clean shot on him because he was never where it, where they wanted him to be. They were always slightly off balance, just as they were throwing, and he'd given them a weird angle and moved his head and all the rest of it and tied them up. Djokovic does that all the time to people. He just puts people in places of the court they don't want to be in, so that they're, they're not able to go after the ball. Um, and I think that it's, it's not a very sort of sexy way of um, showing how great Djokovic is. But it's so damn effective, and it kind of sets him apart. It's that strangulation, isn't it? Handcuffing his opponents. You're right. It's it feels like damning by faint praise, but six six titles, twenty one slams. It, it it's it's not because it's so damn effective. But yeah, it doesn't always sound sexy. And, and just forcing your opponent in. Okay, not the biggest match of Casper Ruud's life. He's played a couple of slam finals this year, but one of the biggest to go outside of his comfort zone and say, Mm. well, you're going to have to do something that you're not comfortable with 
to stand any chance of beating me. I'm definitely backing the guy who's playing in his comfort zone and has all the experience. And that's Djokovic. And he the can only do blokes that. have ever can, done it. As you said, he can do it to pretty much everyone. Team and, team and Vavrinka, about the only mm-hmm. players I've ever seen do it. Yeah, and Federer obviously could do it over best of three. He beat, he beat Djokovic quite a lot, just playing really attacking, brilliant, sparkling tennis. Nadal at Roland Garros can obviously do it, but it's it's not a big pool of players. It's and as you said, the real lights out tennis, it's kind of only been Team and Wawrinka. You just want to see someone go on the court with the chutzpah to try though, don't you? The the problem is if you try and fail, you, you, you fail Yeah. You probably you fail, fail more fail spectacularly, spectacularly than yeah. than you gotta seven, be prepared to do that. Seven five, six six three was it in the end six four mm. um yeah you've, you've you'd fail more spectacularly but mm. I, I do wonder whether rude if he gets a couple more chances against them might just reconcile that he's going to have to do that next time maybe he'll learn from these experiences because i mean look he's a he's a smart bloke he's clearly mm. you know he's, he's he's a very studious player i think he's got i i can sense the the tension in his box when he's playing Nadal and um, and Djokovic. Occasionally they'll do the close-ups and you'll hear the and they're trying to get through to him, but they're trying to get him to believe and to stick in there and and get comfortable because otherwise you can be, you can be it can be a really uncomfortable couple of hours. But I just feel as though I mean he's already done more this year than I think any of us thought he would. Two Grand Slam finals, this final as well. Um, I think he still can make some improvements, but the main improvement, I think you might have covered this in your prime video, Catherine, is the approach between the ears when you come up against these people. You've just got to go for it. Um, and I think I'd like to think you'll learn from it in that way. Um, it'd be very interesting. Um, but yeah, six titles, incredible level that Djokovic is finding now uh, at the age of 35 no sign of any drop in his standards whatsoever um, and it just sets it up so so perfectly now for next year yeah it does just fast forward through the Maldives and give me Alcaraz Djokovic now please <laughs> really not interested in anything else just, oh, get, just put me on a flight to Australia and give me Alcaraz Djokovic. What about if I give you Kyrgios Djokovic fourth round? No, no, no. Runa, I mean, I'm not Djokovic interested in anything quarters. else that's going to happen in the intervening period. <laughs> okay. Just, Christmas can bog off. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a waiting game now. Okay. But we are excited for the Davis Cup fight. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> I am honestly, I am, I am because otherwise, yeah. if we didn't have that, I would be, um, and especially with being able to do daily pods, um, I would have a, I'd have a black hole feeling tomorrow. Mm. But I don't. I'll have a. Oh, I wish I was in Malaga feeling. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to have Matt telling us all about it on tomorrow night's yeah. uh, daily podcast, when we it's can't all wait about the blooming vitamin D. So pleased for you. <laughs> By the way, have, have either of you ever seen a tennis match that Novak Djokovic has lost when his kids are there? He seems to just mm. be even more dangerous when well, they're I around. Well, I don't. I think gets... his daughter Tara being there for matches is a very new thing. I think she's right. just hit the age where she can sit through a tennis match, but only if he wins quickly. <laughs> He so I do so wonder if that's an in- incentive, yeah. And the 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 players' box is so close to the court. Oh, is it? Uh, in Turin, yeah, they're right there, and they do this thing. I mean, the stage staging of this event really is good. You know, that it's exactly the same as it was when it was in London. You know, the light show and everything, the way they illuminate the court, the blue is so electric, and they have the crowd in darkness. The crowd, except for the two players' boxes, which have spotlights on them. So both the players and the crowds and the cameras I like that. are always that able good. to keep their eyes on them. Yeah, it's it's a really nice little touch. I was going to say, 
just, you know, I'm sure we may have more to discuss on Djokovic, but since you've brought up the Turin to London comparison, how have you found being in Turin compared to London? Because I remember last year watching Turin on the TV, I was a little bit disappointed that they hadn't freshened it up a bit more. I didn't actually feel like that this year. I, I do feel like the event does have a real identity now, which they've continued. But London, I loved the many years it was there. But kind of as we started this podcast with, there were some years which, you know, <laughs> the matches weren't great. Um, and personally, I felt like it was time for it to move. And I just feel like, does it feel like there's been an injection of life into the event with it moving in Turin? Could you... Could you feel anything different or, or was it actually quite feel, a similar vibe? I feel something different from the Italian fans. I certainly think the fans here have an identity. Mm. Um, for sure, the, the things that they respond to um, are interesting. You know, the way they embrace Rublev this week and the, the journey that they went on within <laughs> one very short match with Andre Rublev yesterday. Um you know, I, I like how raw the emotions are here. I, I, I think the tennis fandom at this tournament has developed its own identity. Um, I, I think I still do feel how I did last year about wanting it to have a bit more of its own visual identity. Okay. Every now and then I did have moments of having to remind myself I'm not in the O2 arena because I spent so spent almost all my time inside. I was so rarely outside. Once I entered through the doors, it was sort of, you're in now. Um, and it's just so visually similar, not just the court. It's what you see on the TV is, is how it is. It is a slightly smaller version of the O2 without the slightly weird soulless shopping centre surrounding it with a incredibly depressing harvester. The one <laughs> the one where the one where a person we all know that shan't be shan't be named went on a terrible date. That is something I've said on the podcast before, isn't it? I can't remember. I know I've heard the the story before. Whether the other thousands that are listening right now have I, I i can't tell you i think it i think anyway anyway yeah. um yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it happens it's in, we're it's, all friends here it's incredibly similar <laughs> um and i get it because it it is visually fantastic it it's hard to see how you how you could make it look better but equally i would like it to develop a bit of identity um and i i don't know if that'll that'll happen don't know be interesting to see mm. um but look it works it sells out pretty much every session um and uh you know that that was in a year with no italians in either the singles or the doubles i would have loved to see an italian player uh play and the crowd responds to them um, hopefully, I'd be surprised if that didn't happen next year. Hmm. I got to be honest, Matt. I don't have anything else to say about Novak Djokovic other than he he looks in just sublime form. He goes into twenty twenty three knowing he can play the Australian Open now, um, and I'm absolutely thrilled at the prospect of watching it all unfold. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I have nothing else to say. Do you have anything else to say? Not really. Um, I think he's become the oldest champion of this event by about five years. Mm. Like it really is. Really, it really yeah. is an outlier. Um, I think Arthur Ashe reached a final of, at a very similar age, but in terms of winners, Djokovic is about five years older than Federer was when Federer won his his last one. And actually, now if you sort of look at his six titles here, it kind of tells you the story of Djokovic's career in a way because he won one way back in Shanghai in 2008 which I must say I do often forget that he won that but that was a real breakthrough and you know obviously Djokovic had a big breakthrough then he had that period of just utter dominance in in London where he won four in a row and now he's won one at 35 to sort of 
underline his longevity, which has become such a such a sort of key factor of his career as well. So you can sort of chart his career, I think, through his through his results at this event. And yeah, of course, it just I think even if he hadn't won this, he was already well set up for 2023. But it it sort of confirms that, yeah, he he's he's still the guy going into next year. It is consistently remarkable to me how little we talk about Djokovic's age mm. because he is the youngest of the three. When you consider right. how it feels like Nadal is yeah. just sort of being held together somehow mm. at the moment and Murray's obviously got a metal joint in mm. Federer's no you know really can't mm. move properly like it. I mean how and Djokovic just doesn't look any different at all no it, it is extraordinary yeah. the oldest ever champion of this this event but yeah I think it, there's a few things going on firstly that his age just so rarely occurs to you because exactly as you say David he looks the same you know in to, to fill the gaps in the schedule that are say again too short for napping um uh, <laughs> we've been running uh you know classic matches and a lot of those have involved Novak Djokovic and he looks the same <laughs> and I think the other thing is the goalposts have been moved f- age-wise over the last five to ten years by Federer and Nadal and Djokovic as well um but because he's that bit younger he's sort of again as has defined his career he's following he's chasing he's hunting um but it you know he is 35 T- 10 years ago that would that would be all that we would talk about oh my god he's yeah. doing this and he's 35 yeah when andre agassi did it he yeah. was such an outlier but we barely mention it and andre agassi wasn't doing this at no. 35 like it's crazy. It really is. And, and as you said, age is is affecting him the least, I think, out of all those players. Um, you know, Nadal, as you said, looks his age. He's he's defying it still, but he looks his age now. And Federer didn't win this much when he was this age. Okay, maybe just about the start of 2017, he was about this sort of age. But it does seem like Djokovic has still got so much time and actually I think obviously one of the big talking points of this year is how little Djokovic has has played and obviously that has been entirely self-inflicted but what it has given him is time on the practice court which you don't normally get and that might that might have in a way have helped him you know if we if we think of a if we think of a canister as as Federer gave us that expression not playing mm. so much this year okay it's affected him because he didn't he didn't play the two hard court slams which he could have won but in the long run it might have helped him develop his game in his in his 30s which you don't normally get to do and just not sort of worn him out so much and yeah he just looks he just looks fresh doesn't he which isn't a word that you would normally associate with a 35 year old i think just to round off the Djokovic chat, I, th- I also think, and this is a point that that we've made before um, a few weeks ago perhaps, but I do think it's one unintended good consequence of Djokovic's year um, that he has injected so much life and commitment into the tour, which we haven't seen recently I do think don't think it's an accident that I, of course it's not an accident I do think it's a factor in this being his first win at this tournament in seven years that mm. I don't want to say he's not been motivated for the past seven years of course he has but I think he's more motivated than he's been in seven years yeah here, this year unquestionably without question yeah. Um, and that's been great to see, seeing him go to Astana and Tel Aviv with motivation. That's been good for the tour. Novak Djokovic being invested in the tour. OK, for selfish reasons. You know, I still lament the fact that there are no 
seemingly know Martinez and Chris Everts that really see the re- requirement and obligation and duty um, of of promoting the tour, of using their status to promote the tour. Um, and okay, the ATP is in a completely different situation to what the WTA was, you know, in the 70s and 80s. But anyway, different discussion. But whatever the motivation, whatever the motivation, it's been great. Hmm. And and it look, I mean, it just sets up next year. He becomes the most interesting player in men's tennis because can these young, exciting players who seem to have something about them that might hurt him, can they get to him? And it's just with with what's on on the line for him historically, and with Nadal still around. Come on. This is going to be amazing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right, let's talk about the doubles, uh, which was won by Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram beating Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic in two... Well, close sets. It was a close match, but Salisbury and Ram were always the better team. Is is how it came across on the day. And in fact, Salisbury and Ram all the way through this tournament, Catherine, they just seem to have been on this mission. I mean, I know every any t- any team that enters is on a mission to try to win it, but it felt like these two. It was personal, you know. They hadn't won it before. A British player hasn't won it before. They've had an in their view in their words some downs this year an up and down year it hasn't all been roses for them but they just seemed on it and they just seemed kind of Djokovic like in terms of their freshness and determination that this was not going to be denied them yeah you've said it the 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 look in their eye reminded me of Novak Djokovic that um resilience and um stubbornness I suppose um, you know in the semi-finals yesterday against the world number ones Kulhoff and Skubski you know Raji Ram drilling body shots of <laughs> Wesley Kulhoff um, a ruthlessness I've not seen from Raji Ram before and I do think there was needle there you know I do think there was a little bit of Ram and Salisbury wanting to say, "Okay, you're not, you're world number ones, are you?" But 
you haven't won a slam this year. You're not going to win the ATP finals. I do think there's been that bit of swagger about Ram and Salisbury this week. Um, and they were not to be denied. Mektic and Pavic were also unbeaten coming into this final. Um, they're, such, they're, they're, they're quite a similar team in terms of chemistry and understanding, you know, just feeling really well bedded in. Um, and they, it would, the scoreline looked close, as most of the double score, double score lines have this week. There have been very few matches that haven't looked close on paper, and most, in reality, have been close. They've been very serve-dominated, but this one didn't feel that close. Mektic was really irritable right from the word go, shouting over his team, getting quite stressed, and I think that was sort of... Ram and Salisbury induced stress. I think they felt second best pretty early doors. Um, and then there was a very controversial double hit moment with Nikola Mektic, uh, where there was a video review, which mm. seemed like far too sensible and logical a thing <laughs> for tennis to be doing. Yeah, there needs to be more of that in tennis. No question about it. Um, but anyway, well done to Salisbury and Ram, who uh, won the title. And I mean, they just looked so thrilled, which is which is exactly what you want. I read that they had improved every year they've played at the ATP finals. I think Ram, Robin, semis, final, winning it. I, I couldn't believe they'd actually been together four years, enough to play it four times. It, they still, to me, feel quite like a sort of fresh new pair but I think that's just because it works it, I've never felt like it was growing tired as a pair they seem to just suit each other so well and yeah that's a just a cool record isn't it just to improve year on year and um, finally get the win good for them and uh, they both had parents watching from the sidelines and you you know how I feel about people winning <laughs> and losing to be honest while their parents are watching and I know Joe Salisbury's mum is a tennis podcast listener so hello hey hey hi <laughs> brilliant <laughs> oh well that's lovely and uh yeah so anyway we we are now going to go our separate ways for the night and Catherine's going to go and pack and get ready to come back to Oof. london M- matt's got a very exciting day ahead in malaga and we get to speak to you tomorrow night matt and find out what it was all all like on site in malaga ahead of the davis cup finals it's pretty cool yeah Looking forward to it. I will report back. Oh, I can't wait. Well, we, listen, we haven't got a pet mascot today what? because Matt's, Matt's been on a flight uh, and I don't know where the document is that has all the pet mascot I, details in I've it. I've so. been brought here under false pretenses. <laughs> <laughs> you got the glass of wine, didn't you? What more do you want? Um, but no, very good point. But we did get Tamara Glennie and granddaughters, Polly and Ella. So thank you to them. If you'd like to introduce a show of the Tennis Podcast, you can become a friend or, or you can get a shout out. We're going to have a, a few of those in a minute. Uh, we've got our own personal mascots. I've got Darwin. Catherine's got Carter. Matt's got the dearly departed Gerald. Uh, we have Billy Jean the dog, sponsored by Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner as our executive producers. And Matt, our shout-outs for the final edition of the ATP Finals in 2022 are? We're starting with James and Sophie, who are currently living in London, but from Sydney and Canberra, respectively, in Australia. Oh, all right, James and Sophie. (laughs) I'm trying... uh, Who's Jim Courier, Jimmy Connors? I can't think of a James. James Scott to- Co- Scott Connors. There you go. Yeah. Catherine's not having it. I don't know if James will be pleased with that. James. James Scott Connors. James Kiothavong. There you go. What about Sophie? Have we got a Sophie <laughs> tennis player? Sophie Amiak. Yeah, there you go. Commentator, <laughs> former player. Can't think of anybody else. Come on, there are other Sophies. We'll have a think about it. Sophie. Okay, right. Okay. Well, I mean, well, thank I, you I both. mean it's a multi-national name, isn't it? Yes. I feel Matt. like we've let you down, James and Sophie. But <laughs> that is on us and not on you. You're definitely great. We have been disappointing. Correct. 
We've got Arvind in Philadelphia. Like Arvind Palmer. Hooray, Arvind. How you doing? (laughs) From Philadelphia, home of the Eagles, who got a narrow win tonight. Arvind is a computer science teacher. Wow. Nice one, Arvind. Thanks very much. Thank you, Arvind. We've also got Justin Ledzinski in Poughkeepsie. Oh, isn't it Poughkeepsie? What did I say? Poughkeepsie. It is definitely Poughkeepsie. I know it from the episode of Friends. Yeah, where me Ross too. dates a girl in Poughkeepsie and fall asleep on the train and ends up in Montreal. Yeah. Blimey, that's a, a very specific reference from Friends. Mm. That's impressive. Mm. Everyone. It's, it's called the one with the girl from Poughkeepsie, I think. Yes, it is. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Justin, thank you so much for being a friend of thank the pod. Thank you, Justin. I've just realised Justin probably gets that all the time when he tells people he's from Poughkeepsie. <laughs> I'm so, and he loves I'm it. I'm sorry, Justin, for being such a cliche. <laughs> We've got Vic, who is in Newton Le Willows in the UK. Oh, hello. Right, Vic. The only Vic I can remember in relation to tennis is Vic Braden. Do you remember the name Vic Braden coming up? Nope. In tennis circles? Nope. I can't quite remember where I got that from, but I know it exists. Thank you, There's Vic. Okay, Vic. I was going to go Victor Troitsky <laughs> <laughs> and hope that Vic was satisfied with that. Vic Braden, Victor Kenneth Braden Jr. was an American tennis player, instructor and television broadcaster for the sport. There you go. Mm. Well, thanks, Vic. Vic Satius is the one I was thinking of. Vic coached Tracy Austin. That's how I knew from from our friend's special, the Tracy Austin story. She mentioned him on the show. Lovely. Got there in the end. Thanks, Vic. Uh, Vic says that he once got beaten by a young Neil Skupski in a Liverpool League mixed cup final, which he says is, you know, now a good anecdote. No shame in that, Vic. World number one, Neil Skupski. Brilliant. And last one today is Lyle Moran in San Diego. Home of Taylor Fritz. Yeah. San Diego. I've been to San Diego. I'd like to visit. Oh yeah. Mm. Nice. Very nice. I that was a holiday I went on where um I learned a lot about US broadcasting. It was during the 2016 Rio Olympics and I was going from establishment oh, to yes. establishment making making increasingly aggressive inquiry, inquiries about why they weren't showing the opening ceremony. <laughs> and it turns out the West Coast show things like on a delay or something I like nobody on the west coast of america is getting anything live seemed to be my takeaway from it very unsatisfactory anyway <laughs> the only bad side of san diego though lyle so you know other than that we're all for it mm. yeah I, I surfed i lay on the beach lovely marvelous Lyle, thank you so much for being a friend of the Tennis Podcast. Thank you to all of you, and thank you to everybody for listening to the show over the past few days. I hope you've enjoyed it. Catherine, travel back home safely. Um, Hopefully speak to you tomorrow night, or uh, certainly uh, lots of the shows this week from the Davis Cup Finals. Matt's going to tell us all about it, because he's in Malaga. He's going to go and speak to the players tomorrow. And we've got, what is it? Seven days' worth of shows coming your way? Fantastic. Can't wait. I'm pumped. Right. Let's do it. Okay, folks. Good night. I'll speak to you tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 